Okay, let's talk about Travis so, uh, first, if we can. Um, mm-hmm. If if someone asked you to describe his style of judo and the way he wins matches, what would you say? He's a uh, he's kind of a brute, to be honest. He walks forward and he's very strong on gripping. So he kind of just and especially at that weight category. I mean, a lot of those guys are are, are like that. And the, a lot of times when you see judo, the weight category category kind of defines the style. So just underneath his weight category is 73 kilo, which is what I competed at. Um, those guys are much faster, much more dynamic. And then the smaller you get, generally they're faster. 81 kilos is a division where guys are imposing their will and kind of grinding grips and just kind of like uh, bullying their way into throw opportunities. And he's kind of that guy, but at the same time, he differs because he's he's a two-sport animal he's not a or two he's two-dimensional he's not one-dimensional most judoka even today are one-dimensional okay so he was able to win in a variety of ways so one of the ways he was able to win was he got a uh i think a correct me on the terminology he got a yuko and then from there it looked to me like a clear over-unders pass you know how often do you see something like that at the elite level I don't think it happens much in terms of uh, the outcome. You might see it little spurts of passing, but most people that pass guard in judo don't do a good enough job controlling the upper body, therefore allowing their opponent to turn on them. He did an amazing job of controlling the collar near the neck as he's passing. Perfect timing to pull him back down to a flat position because there's, there's no points at all for getting the back. And again, I'm talking as if, because most people understand jiu-jitsu rules and MMA, those are very vulnerable positions. In judo, they're not. They allow for a halt in the match if you take my back. I can stall things out. Well, he's a really good passer because he doesn't let you get out that easy. He doesn't let you turn your body away from the pass, uh, giving all fours. He just pulls you down and pins both shoulders to the mat. Uh, and I think that's, again, I think, you can say that that's a, a mixture of his BJJ knowledge and training with jiu-jitsu stylists, but also using that knowledge to fit the rules of judo. It was, it was brilliant. So one of the examples to me, and again, I don't know this to be true. I, don't, I just don't know enough about judo to comment on whether this is real, but it's, it felt like it in terms of what you're discussing where one of the wins he got was a bow and arrow choke, but not from any kind of jiu-jitsu setup I've ever seen. One of the things that strikes me is how many attacks – judokas have from turtle uh the turtle position they have so many attacks and he hit something what looked to me like a rolling bow and arrow choke is that the kind of thing you're talking about where he's blending the two arts yeah um the bow and arrow choke is something i use a lot and you're not gonna you see it in jujitsu but you're not gonna see it as much as judo and the reason why is because there's a sense of urgency in judo that doesn't exist in bjj it's not it's not as uh, evident, meaning I don't have a lot of time on the ground. Some referees don't even like groundwork. So you're playing that, all of those variables are, are kind of the culture of, you know, to force you to move. You don't have time. You have a sense of urgency. When you, if I grab your collar and we're standing, which is the tatiwaza, and then we go on the ground, I'm going to use that initial collar grip to try to choke you. So your submission setups are actually standing. 
And that wasn't maybe exactly what happened. I got to really look at the, the video, but your transitions are from what happened previously, which is the standing technique. So he avoided a throw on that number one ranked judoka in the semifinal. Well, he wasn't supposed to beat that guy, right? Right. Well, he transitioned from the grip into the, into the choke. So the guy didn't have time. And I think this is an ignorance on his part. Didn't have time to understand that Tachiwaza can easily turn into Nawaza and those transitions are there. And, and I think when you talk about the difference between judo and jujitsu, you don't see the bow and arrow a whole lot in jujitsu. You still, you see it, but you see it more in judo because I don't have time to put my hooks in, you know, to score four points because those four points don't exist in judo. So the way we approach attacking the back differs depending on what rule sets we're, we're up against. IBJJF or International Judo Federation. So you and I have discussed. So for example, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. You're, you're going to see a lot. You're going to see a lot more clock, bow and arrow, and juji katami roll, which is what I call juji katami roll, which is crossbody, where I have your back, I put a belt line hook in, I trap one arm, flip you over, and I armbar you. Those are the three main attacks you're going to see in judo that you don't see a whole lot in jujitsu. They still exist, but in terms of ratio. Those are the top three you're going to see in, in a judo competition because I don't have time to set up all those nifty back attacks. Gotcha. So you and I have discussed previously that there can be, obviously, a, depending on the person or the school or uh, other factors, a big difference in the groundwork and ground skill between judokas and elite black belts. However, um, you know, there are a lot of judoka who are really great on the ground. You had mentioned Flavio Canto was one of those guys who was a nightmare to, to roll with, and he obviously made a career doing that. So help me understand, what is it a little bit different, maybe, about what Travis Stevens is doing? Why is his blend of the two arts unique and exciting for someone like you? Because he understands the full spectrum of ground of groundwork. Whereas a judoka only understands one side of the spectrum and a BJJ stylist only understands the opposite side of the spectrum. So when you're blending the two and you take the time to be technical, which a lot of judoka don't, you know, even the high level Nawaza guys, I wouldn't even call them super technical. They're just, they're definitely good and they're definitely technical, but they're not like a Rafa Mendez. Well, you grab Travis Stevens, who's got the heart of a lion and he's very disciplined and he's only there to win. You get that kind of student and then give him an opportunity to study Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, put him in an academy like Henzo Gracie. He's going to understand the full spectrum. And so we talk about transitional ability. You can transition between tempos, between arts, even though you're not looking at it that way, it's all grappling, but he moves appropriately for the situation at hand, and that's what makes him so dangerous, and that's why he has blended the two so well, and he's the best in the world at it. Mm. Uh, before we get to Kayla, real quickly... And he's, taken, and he's taken advantage of the ignorance that still exists on the ground in judo competition. For example, I don't know the names, and you can do a quick research. I think there was a, a judoka, I, I don't know his name, but he was like ranked 125th in the world. He fought a guy that's like ranked fifth in the world. I mean, that, that's a 120-degree difference, right? right? And he pinned the, the guy who's ranked fifth. It was the biggest upset in this year's Olympics. He pinned him. Well, that can happen when you have 
like an art like judo, where some people say there's not a big payoff to spend the energy it takes to learn proper groundwork. Because a lot of people just don't, they're not very good on the ground. So they ignore it. They, they just defend on the ground. Well, this guy got caught in a pin, had no idea how to get out against someone who's ranked way lower than he is. And therefore you have an upset. And that's a perfect example. That guy took, took advantage of the ignorance of his opponent. And Travis Stevens did that in Rio. Um, amazing. Uh, can we talk real quickly about Jimmy Pedro Jr.? Um, obviously, he yes, is Kayla's yes. coach, but it seems to me, you know, Rousey came from that school to an extent as well. Um, he's the most, I think, one of the more decorated male competitors ever. You know, uh, what is it about what he's doing and teaching that is making it so successful on the international level? Oh, I think number one, I mean, there's a lot of elements to this, but he was a very good competitor. Therefore, he understands um, his, his uh, I wouldn't even call him his students. He's, he's the coach of the international team. And so he gets to work with them on occasion, I think. But he understands a competitor. So he under, understands a competitor's mind. Um, on the other end, he, he's another guy that, that had really good groundwork. I actually competed against him. He, he was really good on the ground. So, you know, like, like Harrison, like with the armbar in the final for the Olympic gold, you know, her transitions were amazing. She, you know, did a throw that got the girl on the ground, can transition to the bow and arrow and then to the arm. It, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. But you have a, someone in your corner that was able to do things like that, too, in his competition career. And again, I think things are shifting. And I think jiu-jitsu is starting to really, you know, changed the world. I mean, it really influenced MMA and now it's hopefully people pay attention, but it's starting to influence judo. People are watching YouTube and seeing all these amazing world champions in, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and they're understanding, well, that is possible. It is possible to reach an amazing level on the ground and anyone who's smart. And this is just me talking understands that if they increase their options, they have more options to win. So if I'm good on Tachiwaza, which is the standing throwing of judo, and I, I ignore Nawaza, then I better be better at everyone in my category in Tachiwaza. That's essentially what I'm saying. So if you look at it mathematically, I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot by not increasing my options. And a lot of these guys, maybe this Olympics will be a wake-up call. I think watching BJJ, people are starting to get influenced, like I said. You know, with BJJ, you need good schools. Like, I went to San Jose State because, I mean, I had a chance to go to the Olympic Training Center or San Jose State. I chose San Jose State because it was near Ralph Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And then when I did international competitions, I was, like, flying armbarring people. Well, I understood that I want more options to win. And if I got a guy who's better at, at Tachiwaza than me, I'm going to threaten my Nawaza, which is going to get me to throw him because – He's going to be so afraid of me on the ground that, and this is the mentality I think Stevens has and, and Kayla Harrison has, that I'm going to disrupt their kind of confidence and force them to make mistakes on the stand-up. And so you're going to start beating people on the stand-up, which I did in my career, where I should have never touched them on the stand-up. They were far better than me, but they were so afraid to go on the ground with me that it made them nervous and it made them not react appropriately. Well, that's the same thing that's happening to Travis. That's the same thing that's happening with Kayla. Uh, they are threatening their opponents everywhere. And this is more of a, an MMA kind of mentality. 
Before MMA, we thought it was styles versus styles. Well, that's no longer the case. It's fighters versus fighters who understand that to beat an opponent, they need to be good everywhere and force their opponent where they're better than their opponent. And you can't do MMA unless, you know, ignoring wrestling uh, sprawls. You're not going to, you know, if I, if I do MMA right now, I have to stop a takedown. You know, if I'm the greatest striker in the world, but I can't stop a takedown, it doesn't matter. And so my point is, is the judo, I think, you know, you have these cultures that develop that are very restrictive. And when I was growing up, I was one of the only guys that was mixing the two. And people kind of looked down on me because I was not a purist. I was not traditional only judo. Judo is the greatest thing in the world. Well, now you can't ignore it anymore because it's in your face every single day. You turn on MMA, you see people that are good everywhere. And so that mentality, I think, was old school medieval mentality. And it's kind of almost an insult to, oh, well, there's only 24 hours in a day, so we better just focus on Tachiwaza because there's not enough time for us to focus on Neiwaza. No, there's plenty of time. There's only a few moves on, in Tachiwaza that people use anyway. There's plenty of time to be well-rounded, and I think it's finally starting to take hold in judo. Um, is there anything to the way in which the Americans approach gripping? Do we, I mean, obviously someone like Stevens and, Hale, and uh, uh, Kayla Harrison, they're going to grip well just because they're naturally good. But do the Americans have a certain style of gripping? Mm, I don't think there's a certain, I mean, there, there definitely was style. Since they cha changed the rules, it's, the styles are not as uh, definitive as they were before, meaning before you used to be able to grab the legs. So in Europe and, and Russia, that people were, doing a lot of that. They were doing a lot of wrestling in their judo and you can't do that anymore. So it kind of like narrowed the ability to be, or to have a different style. I think most, most countries are very similar. I mean, I think again, the weight, there's so many variables, the weight category has something to do with it. I don't think there's a traditional USA gripping style because many times USA looks up to other countries that are a little bit further along than they are. Uh, in terms of influence. And that's what we did. You know, I went to Japan for three months to train because that was the best training for me. It wasn't in the United States. Well, things are a little bit different now. You have New York, but I'm telling you right now, even Travis, he travels everywhere. And this is one thing that jiu-jitsu traditionally doesn't do because it's very restrictive between academies. And this whole mentality, like, why do we call it Brazilian jiu-jitsu? It doesn't make any sense. If we're thinking on the world level, it's jiu-jitsu. It's not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's not Japanese judo. And that mentality restricts you. So, for example, if I train outside my academy, I'm a, I'm a trader. Well, in judo, if you trade outside your country, you're just doing <laughs> what you should be doing to elevate your status as an American. Mm. So a lot of this is cultural, um, the way things are. Um. Kayla Harrison had an interesting quote. She said that her jiu-jitsu is not pretty. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't have the kind of jiu-jitsu you would ever want to put on a poster. Um, but it's, it's, it is refined through the process of repetition. When she says she doesn't have beautiful judo, what does she mean? Beautiful judo or jiu-jitsu? Judo. I'm sorry. I meant, she, said, she, said, she said she didn't, like she said her throws were not pretty, but it didn't matter in the oh, end. Oh, I see. No, because... And we have the same thing in jujitsu. You know, people say, oh, well, his technique's so beautiful and everyone likes it. Or there's this smasher 
who just kind of outpaces everybody. Um, like I'll, I'll even say like Buchecha. Buchecha is one of the greatest, you know, jiu-jitsu fighters ever, but he doesn't have Rafa Mendez jiu-jitsu. I know they're different weight categories, but that's a, that's a good example. Buchecha is super athletic, whereas Rafa Mendez is a small, and they have, they have to be technical, you know. What Kayla is saying is she gets the job done. And to me, that's all that matters because, again, it's cultural. We learn through martial arts, especially jiu-jitsu, to love the beauty of the art. Well, there's also beauty and grace in being the most powerful individual in your category and smashing people. Because don't forget, even jiu-jitsu, but judo especially, it is a knockout, drag-out martial art. It is the, probably one of the toughest martial arts in existence. So to be super pretty, you know, is one thing, and that's great. But to get the job done, that's another whole end, other end of the spectrum that a lot of people ignore. And I think that's her point. I'm not here to be pretty, you know, with my judo. I'm not here to do things maybe the way you want me to do them. But I'm a two-time Olympic gold medalist. I get the job done. And that's what I see even in her newaza. It's not the prettiest stuff in the world, but I can appreciate it because I understand some of the stuff I do is not pretty, but I get the job done, you know, in my own, in my own game. For an American who is hearing about Kayla Harrison and see she's a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and certainly anyone with even a passing knowledge of the Olympics can understand that's a big achievement. But for an American, I mean, literally no American has ever done that, not even close. Can you help the average American understand what, what makes her achievement, especially in world judo where Americans are at a disadvantage, why is that so special? Well, obviously she was the first gold medalist. You know, we've, we've had some great talent, Jason Morris, Jimmy Pedro, uh, now Travis Stevens, who have been really, really close and haven't really uh, put it together. She was the first, and I think it's actually really cool that she's female doing it first. That's another thing that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, doing it two times is another thing, because if you look like the in-between the four years, they're competing all the time. And she hasn't won every single tournament in between 2012 and now. So she, you know, sometimes you show up and you're the best, but you weren't the best that day. So, like, you got to be the best on the day you compete in Rio, and she, that's what she did. So I think to the average American, I think uh, do a little research on it. And, it, I mean, now you can't ignore it, but judo has always been there. It's just been ignored because we haven't done that well, and we finally are. So I think if you look at it, it's the greatest combative sport in the Olympics. I mean, I'm biased. Wrestling's in there, too. But uh, it's the most dynamic. You have submission holds. You have throws. You have everything you could ever want out of a grappling sport, which wrestling doesn't have. And now we're finally finding some success. And I think, uh, I think the average American should just pay attention to it, watch it, and, and love it. I mean, it's brutally awesome. Uh, there's one quote, and I'll let you go here. It's from the head of USA Judo. I'm trying to find it. But what he basically says was, if we had – oh, here we go. If we had – this is from Jose Rodriguez. Um, he says, we can look at this in two ways. First, the return on our investment in our athletes is unbelievable. Number two, can you imagine if we had the kind of budget that Russia did, we would control world judo? Do you agree with that? Well, I think – I think there's a potential for it. I think there's a few things. So, for example, um, judo, <laughs> it's cultural, man. 
I don't know if I agree with that. Like Russians, I mean, I'm not Russian or I'm not in Russia. Maybe part of this is ignorance, but that's a, that's a pretty tough breed of people. And I think Americans are tough too, but they're not, I mean, things are kind of changing, you know, like more people play soccer than judo. There's not a lot of judo competitors in, in, in the United States versus like the European countries or Japan. Now, if you had the budget, are you going to use that budget to change the culture? Meaning more participants, because you're looking at it in terms of ratios. Um, I think it's a possibility, but I think it needs to be cultural. We, you know, owning a school, I see some of this where people are allowed to quit. Um, and that's a very foreign concept to me because I was forced into judo and I was never allowed to quit. I wanted to quit maybe over a hundred times because it was rough and I didn't have a good practice and I didn't perform the way I wanted to. And my father just never let me. So that's the culture that needs to kind of, you know, exist to, to get more gold medals. You, you have to have kind of a hardcore culture, not an overbearing culture, but a culture that just doesn't allow people to quit. Once you start something, maybe I'm getting a little too deep on this, but I mean, that's how I feel like, you know, the champions, I mean, they don't love going to work every day. It's the same with MMA. Like, it's not, oh, your work is so easy. No, it's not. I got punched in the face three times today. You know what I mean? Like, I got taken down, I got armbarred, or I got thrown in judo practice over and over again. That's not fun. And, and I think you need the mentality of, this isn't fun, and that's not what we're here for. We're here for to see when you stop talking, show up to practice every single day, and give it your all, how far you can go. And I think that's what's in the mentality of, like, Travis. Like, every day he wakes up, he's like, how far can I go today? you have that kind of culture and you raise that bar and you have that crop of individuals, you know, individuals to choose from, then you're going to start getting more gold medals. Uh, Dave, I really appreciate your insight and your time today. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, this is exciting times. Awesome. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye.